Hey everyone, welcome back to the Impact Show 2.0. I'm your host, Matt Diner, and this is a show for sport coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, and fitness entrepreneurs who want to increase the impact they have on those around them. For my conversation today, I am speaking with Dr. Micah Parker. He's the athletic director at California Baptist University. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Parker, he adds a ton of value and knowledge to this podcast. Um, he's been the athletic director at Cal Baptist for, uh, this is now the start of his 11th year, and he has seen that athletics program grow from an NAIA to a Division II to now a Division I athletics program. So as we get into talking a little bit about hiring and protecting culture and, and a little bit about the interview process itself, I think it's important to note that um, Dr. Parker has really done a great job of not only hiring entire departments, but coaching staffs, all while making sure that they protect the, the culture and the standards that they've set at California Baptist University while still growing. So it's one thing to you know, protect culture and keep those things intact while maintaining but to do that while growing is tough and, and requires a lot of intentionality. But also you'll see as I talk with Dr. Parker, there's a few things that he intentionally looks for um, and communicates very well, not only as he recruits for potential staff, but also even during the interview and onboarding process. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I think it's really important, especially in the strength and conditioning field, which most of the listeners of this show are. Um, it's a difficult field to really break into. So for anyone listening that is looking to build a career in the strength and conditioning industry, I think it's wise to listen to what Dr. Parker has to say as he hires strength and conditioning professionals, um, even if you're just looking to break into sport coaching, um, to see what does an athletic director really look for as they build their program. But also, you may be listening to this show as an athletic director or a coach yourself, or even a business owner looking to hire as your business grows. So just taking an, a look at what are some things that, that he notices during the interview process and while onboarding new staff, I think is really important. So um, that is a lot of what our conversation dives into. I hope you enjoy it. As soon as that conversation is done, I'm going to share three times where I think it's extremely important to be intentional about protecting your company or sports program culture. And uh, spoiler alert, one of those is going to be the hiring process. So I will talk through that a little bit, but also share two other times um, while you have a staff member with you um, and just within the day-to-day -day operations of your company or business or sports program, that is really important to protect culture. So definitely stick around for that. But here is my conversation with Dr. Micah Parker. All right, Dr. Parker, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm excited for our conversation. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really excited to just from getting to talk with you briefly and just from reading some of what you've done, uh, I want to start, if you could just bring our listeners up to up to speed on, this is now 10 years you've been athletic director at Cal Baptist University, and there's been a lot of transition. Do you want to kind of provide a, an update on where the program started with you at the helm and, and where you're at now and kind of what's going on in between? Sure. We've had a very unique experience here at California Baptist University. Our school has grown tremendously, and with that growth, uh, the athletic department has had to grow with it. When I was hired in 2000, July 2009, we were an NAI, a pretty good NAI program. We quickly made the transition to NCAA Division II, and I say quickly, but that, that's not a quick, it's not necessarily a quick thing. It's a three-year three -year transition before you're officially D2, and then and then five years, you have, you have to be five years an official Division II member before you can apply to be Division I. But the goal of our president has always been to be a Division I university athletically. So that process, it's taken us 
nine years. Uh, that's very quick, though. It's very quick to go from NAI to Division One in nine years. We yeah. were blessed, blessed with a tremendous amount of success in Division Two. Our last year, we were the we won the Learfield Cup as the most successful Division Two athletic department in the nation. And then last year was our first year officially in Division One. We joined the Western Athletic Conference. So we're starting year two right now. This is my starting my 11th year and we're starting year two of, of division one. It's been very, very exciting. Few people can say they've been a, a, an athletic director at an NAI division two and a division one university. Uh, very few people can say they've done it at the same place. So it's been, it's been a yeah. experience for sure. We've had to change tremendously. And one of the biggest changes has been hiring and the size of our, our athletic department. When I started, we were at 32 full-time members. And when we start the school year this year, we'll be around 90. Wow. And that's really where I, I, I want to bring this conversation to. I'm glad you mentioned that of there's so many things we could get into, but with our audience being mainly coaches and strength coaches who may either be looking to join a school or, or an athletics program, or, or I'm sure we have some people that are in a hiring position. I think there's a lot to learn and um, as we talk hiring and building culture, um, there's so many layers to it, but I'll start with this to bring it back to just why is the hiring process so important when you look at building the athletics culture that's been able to happen at California Baptist University? Um, why is the hiring process so important in, in, in that whole scheme of things? It's the most important thing when it comes to developing culture, having the right people uh, in the boat with you. It's, it's critical. Um, it's the most important thing that an athletic director or a CEO or anyone or a president, it's the most important thing that they do. If you want to remain, especially when you're growing, uh, you, you're growing and you want to make sure you're growing, but you want to make sure that you retain who you are and what you're about. I'm very pleased that we have grown so fast, but we've remained who we are. And the fact that we've changed levels athletically hasn't changed what, what we're about. It hasn't changed our mission and hasn't changed what we're about. That's, that starts though with who you, with who you hire. You have to hire people that are a fit for your culture. And every school is a little bit different, but you know, our school is unique and it, it's Christian mission. And so, um, we have to, that's where I have to start in the hiring process. I have to have people that are going to be on board with that mission and help us with that mission. Yeah. Once, if I have, if I have that, then I think the other things will fall into place. I, I can find people that have a talent to coach, but I can't always find people that uh, are of right fit for our culture. So you, would you say that it, it's maybe a little bit longer process at, at your school or with you personally um, with having some extra criteria with being a Christian university, um, but also even just the fact of protecting your culture uh, how, how long does that process usually take of bringing on a, a staff member or coach? It, it sometimes can. It really varies. Uh, one of my jobs is to always be prepared for someone leaving. So I've hired over 100 people in my tenure here. That's an average of 10 a year. That, and hiring takes, does take a long time. It's, it's a very important thing to do. But you should always be prepared and and when I say people leaving, we've been blessed with a lot of success. So we've had a tremendous amount of, we've had head coaches that have left that have went on to uh, bigger and better things. Uh, in my time here, we ha I have now uh, the head coach at UCLA for UCLA men's soccer, head coach at Baylor University women's volleyball, head coach at Liberty University women's volleyball, uh, head coach at Old Miss softball. Uh, head coach at, we've had other assistants gone on to coach head coaching positions at other levels, but our, our assistant directors in sports information or strength and conditioning or really any other area compliance, they they've done a good job here and then have gotten other opportunities. So we always have to be ready for people that are, you know, moving on. Uh, we have to have a list of people. And when it comes to coaches, I got I keep them a mental and, and a little file too on people that I've, I've noticed that I've been impressed with that have done a good job, maybe at a, maybe at a lesser school or maybe with, without the resources that we have. And so I just kind of keep them a, a list of those people. And then when we have to hire, we, we, we spread it, we spread out our, our, um, our information across 
the country, put it on lots of different hiring posts, and then and then we go from there. But filtering through all those people it does take quite a bit of time. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, before we kind of go into getting some practical steps along with the the interview process and and how that works and and what may be specific mm-hmm. to you, but as you open up a position and look at hiring a coach. Um, what is the, I guess, the, the core values and the mission of your program that separates California Baptist from some other schools? Well, the mission of our athletic department is to honor Christ through excellence in athletics. Uh, we, we do believe that if I get the right people in here, that we're going to be successful as far as wins and losses. And we have a really good support system here. I have some very talented administrators that will help our student athletes achieve academic success. And those are really, those two things are really important. Our mission is that our student athletes here grow in their faith during their time that they're at California Baptist university. So I want to have people that are excited about that, that want to be a part of pouring into the lives of our student athletes, um, not only physically and academically, but, but spiritually as well. Uh, Not only being a model, being a good person, but trying to trying to actually speak into the hearts and minds of our student athletes so that uh, they grow in their faith while they're here. Yeah. And are there certain things when uh, you, you find a prospective coach who's, who's bought into that, that mission and vision that you have for the program um, when you start to have those conversations and, and look at bringing someone in, for an interview, are there some key traits that are maybe universal? Because I would imagine there are certain things that are specific to to that opening or that sport that you may be looking for, but some more universal traits. Have you noticed certain things that over the years you, you begin to look for and what makes a successful coach? Because you really have brought on, you mentioned coaches that have gone on to larger schools with maybe more resources, but also just the amount of coaches that have won awards, uh, whether it be for conference or national coach of the year and those things. So um, what are some things that, that you've noticed as maybe common traits that you look for when hiring? Well, there's a couple different things. And uh, one of them is success. One of them is success. I, I need to see whether they're an assistant coach or whether they're a head coach that they've been successful in the, pre- in the previous programs that they're in. I'm also impressed with, with coaches that do well with programs that have less resources than we have. So if a program is, is beating us or doing very, or being very competitive with us, like regionally, for example, but I know that they don't have as many scholarships or they don't have the facilities or the location or the, the positives that we have at CBU, I, I think, well, wow, what would that person do if they had what we have? That's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing I look for is I just, I want to be able to understand and get that person's level of communication, their ability to communicate, because you have to communicate it to a wide variety of people as a coach, especially if you're recruiting. So you have to, you have to deal with young people, parents, uh, other coaches, uh, the media, administrators, other directors across campus. There's so many campers, families. I mean, there's just so many different season ticket holders, so many different groups of people a coach needs to communicate with. So I look at the coach's communication skills. Now, obviously, um, I want someone that has integrity and that that um, wants to wants to do the right thing all the time. Isn't somebody that always is is constantly asking for forgiveness? Instead, they're asking you know to do the right thing. Those those are really important. If they fit our mission of the mission of our university and the mission of our athletic department, then there's somebody that that I know is going to be a a part of you know is going to be worshiping at a local church and that their faith is going to be a part of a part of what they're coaching of what they're coaching is it's, it's not a separate, not a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like to, um, I got to find people that can handle expectations. You know, there's lots of coaches that, that will say, Oh, I wish I had this, or I wish I had this. If, or if we only had this amount of scholarships, we only have this facilities, then, then I would do well. I don't, I don't hire those type of coaches. I hire the type of coaches who overcome those maybe some of the negatives that they might have at the school and still win. And then I want a coach that's going to handle expectations because here we have expectations because we feel like we've given our coaches what they need to be successful. So if we hire the right people and in our, and then put them in our process, 
we feel like they can be successful. They need to be able to handle that expectation, the expectation that they're going to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And it's a little different here too. I mean, we have, we have the expectation to win. We have the expectation to graduate our student athletes. But we also have the expectation that our student athletes would look at their coaches as someone that has been a spiritual mentor for them. So I, but coaches, there's three, there's three legs of your, of the stool. All three of those legs need to be sturdy. If one of those legs isn't working, uh, then, then we fall and we don't, you know, we surely don't want that to happen. Yeah. And, and this, this section may be speaking a little bit more to anyone that's in a hiring position, but in knowing that you have some of those key traits that you look for and and you want to make sure that because hiring is so important in in protecting that culture. um, Has that led to any specific style of interview or uh, specific questions or way you ask questions? Has that changed over the years or or is it look different because of um, just the the culture that you set with the program? Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's changed. Um, when I'm hiring a head coach, I'm when I'm hiring a head coach. I've, you know, I've coached basketball and I coached track and cross country in my coaching careers. So I'm not an expert on golf. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on golf. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on volleyball or softball or all. You know, we have 20 different sports. But I, I do think, having been a coach for 17 years, that I, I, I do, I can tell when somebody knows what they're talking about and whether somebody is just t- talking coach speak. Uh, there's a, there's, there's a lot of that out there. So, but my, my initial conversations or when I take, when I look at the funnel of applicants, it's pretty wide to, when I to get to narrow them down. Usually the, the fit to our university narrows the list down pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. Once I have that smaller pool of people that are a fit for our university culture wise, then I, then I start breaking down and trying to investigate where they are on the other things. So sometimes that makes it harder on the front end, but when we, because we get the right person at that point, then it, it makes it longer on the, on the back end, it makes it longer for us. And we're able to keep coaches here longer. I mentioned some of the success of the coaches that have left here, but we've kept more coaches that have, that have left. We've made this a destination job for many people. And we've been, I've been excited every time we do have a job opening, I've been excited at the quality of people that are applying for our, our positions. So we want it to be a job where coaches think, you know what, uh, I want to stay here because I know I can be successful, but I also just really love the environment and, and what we're trying to do here beyond just winning on the scoreboard. So the questions, though, specifically, most of my questions initially are about faith fit for the university. I'm, I'm not going to talk to somebody or invest time into somebody if if I haven't been convinced that they are someone that can win at our level and someone that's proven themselves to do well academically, hasn't had uh, rules violations in the past at their other schools. I like to, I do like to call a variety of people that may have, that are not on the reference list. Uh, references are kind of silly, I think, because, you know, you have to be a complete idiot to put somebody on your reference list. It's not going to say good things about you. But I will call. I will call previous schools, and I'll call people that are not on the reference list, and I'll try to call people that I know that might have a contact with that person to just get the general feeling about them. And usually, if you make three or four phone calls about somebody, you can you can get a pretty good idea uh, what that person you know what that person is like. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good concept. Of some people don't even check references, and and going above and beyond can really help shape your knowledge of that person. Um, I do think, I do think too, there's an, some people can just kill it in a phone interview. I mean, they can just really do well in a phone interview, but then we get them in, when you get them in person, they're different. So, um, you know, that, that's just another part of the filter though, is you, have, you might have do five phone interviews and three of them were really good. But then when you get, when you get them on campus, there's, there's always a separation. There's, there's always somebody that just, you feel like, you know what, this is the right person. They just have a, a great presence about them. It's obvious they're excited. It's obvious they can communicate really well. Um, the, inter- the in-person interview is critical. So the phone interview is critical to get the in-person interview. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But then there's usually a separation. There's, not everybody can do both well. Yeah. When you look at 
you mentioned communication and like you mentioned, there, there's so many aspects to communicating with not only parents, but students, but administration and media. Yeah. Uh, are, are there some things that you particularly look for with communication skills based on how you ask questions or, or is it kind of just more getting a sense for how they carry themselves, how they stay consistent when talking mission and vision and those things or um, what, what's your process for that like? Well, there are some things that are, that are red flags for me. Um, and then there's some other things that are, that ring the bell, meaning like, Oh, I like, I really like hearing that. Uh, I like t- people that talk about and use phrases like we and not I on the accomplishments that the coaches had. They mm. uh, like that. Um, it, because as the success of any athletic program, while the head coach has a huge, huge amount of impact on that and, and the most amount, they can't do it by themselves. They, they have to have everybody, everybody cheering for them and everybody wanting to do work for them. So if the head coach, head coaches makes the marketing person upset or makes a compliant person upset or is difficult to work with in all those other areas, facilities, well, they're going to struggle. But if there's someone that can, that get, get everybody on board and make, and get everybody excited about working for that person or working with that person, then, then that's, then that's a good, that's a win-win. I, so I like people that talk about team and use phrases that where it's about the team and the group of people versus just I, you would, you would be surprised how many times, how many times people talk in the third person, which just, you know, like that's, that's a interview killer for me Yeah. thing. And that other thing that I, that's a red flag for me is when someone in an interview, in the interview process says negative things about the previous place they were at, or maybe their previous boss. I don't like that at all. And and you'd be surprised how many people do that. Now there could be, there could be truth in that. There could be, maybe they did work for someone that was really difficult to work with, or um, maybe they had some negative things at the other school, but I don't need to hear that. And it tells me that if, well, they're going to, if they're going to complain in an interview about somebody, about their previous boss or about someone else they worked with, then they're probably going to do that here. And we, we don't need people that are just going to constantly complain. We need, we need people that uh, are going to be, are going to be positive, even though there may be some obstacles. There's no, no place is perfect. So those are a couple of things that I, that I look for that I'm acutely aware of when I hear, you know, when I hear them both on the positive end and, and on the negative end, uh, I, I want, I want, someone that's not going to be asking, well, what, what can you do for me versus uh, yeah. what can I, what can we do together that will further our program? Yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense. From the written side, when, when you talk about having a, a pretty broad funnel and then it narrows down uh, mm-hmm. based on a fit and faith and some of those things, um, are, is there anything from a resume standpoint uh, and then we'll kind of move on through the process. But talked about verbal communication, written. Are there certain things that are either that positive bell or that negative red flag that can quickly move them up the list or off the list? Yeah, there's some things that are should be state the obvious, but I'm baffled at how many times they, they happen, like filling out an application in all caps or filling out an application with no caps. Uh, it's just unbelievable. Or being lazy with filling out the application meaning they just type one or two lines and then, or write C resume or something like that. That just tells me that that just tells me they're not going to do things with great, you know, with great detail. Also in the cover letter, there's too many people who just write a generic cover letter and then change the, just change the name on dear, you know, dear Dr. Parker, they just change the name. They just use the same cover letter, but schools are very different. I mean, there's very different things about, a public university versus a private university. Every school has some different, a different mission, uh, a different, a different purpose. Um, there's different geographic issues. There's different regional issues. So I think it's a mistake to use the same cover letter. And I can tell when someone does that because our school is you know, our school. You should, you should in your cover letter have something about the school that you're re- you're requesting an interview with. Uh, if if I can't see anything in there that ties them to our school, then it's like, oh, this is just a generic, 
you know, just a generic letter. Mm-hmm. And grammar is critical too. I'm, I'm surprised I've, every once in a while I'll get, I'll get uh, letters that are one gigantic paragraph <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, or run on sentences where someone just uses the word and or, or four or five times in a sentence. That's if they can't write, they're going to have to write emails. They're going to have to write texts. They're going to have to write letters. They need to be able to, you know, to write well, to communicate. So I, I do look for those. I do look at for those, for those things. Yeah. Uh, filling out just, or just filling out something incorrectly too on the application. I'm, I'm surprised sometimes with when people do that, got to be careful and slow down sometimes with what you're doing. I, People, people will send letters. People will send me a, a, a application letter, and it does. It has the name of the previous person that they that the or the previous job that they applied for. Like, good grief! This is not a person that's going to be paying attention to detail. Yeah, no, that's some really good practical tips again from, from either the person that uh, listening that that may be applying for some positions, or, or even hiring managers to be thinking about to kind of make it. Back to being specific yeah. to to your school, Dr. Parker. Sure. Well, we look yeah. at just the culture that's that's been built over the past 10 and now into the 11th year. Um, we talk about how important the hiring process is. How do you how do you protect the culture not only from hiring but even onboarding? You, you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier of just the expectations. Um, so, so how from hiring to onboarding to even, have they been on staff for a couple of years? What, what are some things that, uh, that one you do to protect the culture and maybe, um, are there certain metrics that are important that are related to culture beyond even just the, the wins and losses are certain metrics that you guys look at specifically? Sure. Um, well, your, your mission needs to be repeated and needs to be constantly ingrained or or written in and woven into every single thing that you do. So every time I get in front of our student athletes, the the first or second sentence that comes out of my mouth is our mission. I want to remind them of that. Anytime we are meeting as a staff, I meet with our entire department twice a month. We start with uh, a devotion usually led by me or someone else from our, from our staff. I just think that sets the tone on, on what we're about because that's the first that's the first thing that we do with our student athletes. Uh, we want them to feel like they have a voice on on how things are going in their programs. It's very important my, that I know what their perception is of of their coach and where the program is going. Well, many many universities do student athlete evaluations, and we we do that too. I've actually written ours. It was part of my doctoral thesis was on evaluating coaches and programs at Christian universities. So I, I've written ours and I read all, we have 450 athletes. I read all 450 of them. Uh, and then we compile all the stats from all the questions on there. And then I share those, I share those stats with the coaches. I also ask, I ask qualitative and quantitative questions. And with the qualitative questions, we type all those out so that the coach can read what the athletes are saying. They can't tell who wrote it, but they can read what the athletes are saying. And typically, we start to see themes that that go through those evaluations. Most of the time, most of the time, that experience is a bucket filling experience for the coach because it, it tells them where the temperature of their team. Uh, but there's sometimes where there'll be things that are, our athletes are pretty perceptive, and there may be some things that, you know, I wish coach did this different or did this better, or I don't understand this. And that's a learning, that's a learning process for our coach. They may be doing something with great intent. That's a positive thing, but maybe they're just, maybe the way they said it or the way they're going about it isn't, isn't being effective to our, their student athletes. So gives them a chance to, to change that. But those evaluations help me, help me see is our, do our coaches perceive our student, our, do our athletes perceive our coaches as spiritual leaders? Do they perceive that they're getting better as an athlete? Notice I didn't say whether they're starting or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our bench players need to be getting better too. You know, our, our last five people on the, on the bench or on the team, any team, they need to be getting better for our team to get better also. And how they, it, there's questions about how the coach communicates with the student athletes, how, how organized they are, et cetera. And then we have, we have administrators that are, that are in charge of sports. So they're the sport administrator. 
or the sports supervisor. I'm in charge of, I used to, when I started here, I was the sports supervisor for all our sports. But as we've grown, I've, I've now, I'm the sports supervisor for men's, women's basketball, baseball, and volleyball. So I can spend a little more time with them and those teams and I can get the temperature of what's going on with the team. And I have talented administrators that are in charge of, in charge of the other sports. And I meet with them on, with those administrators on a regular basis to find out what's going on in their, what's going on in their programs. And then I'm, I'm at every, I am at 95% of our home games, uh, which is, we'll have about 160 home contests this year. And then I try to get to at least one away game uh, with each team. That's sometimes I'm not able to do that, but if I'm not there, the sports supervisors is usually there. Uh, We want to, we want to watch the product. We want to see what they're doing in practice and see what they're, how they're doing in games, how they're communicating and uh, how they're treating our student athletes. If you're, if you're evaluating constantly, constantly evaluating, then I think you have a good pulse on your, on your programs. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at, look at metrics and some of those things, Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about just academic success as well. Um, What's, what's the coach's role in that typically, or or how is that addressed if, if certain athletes are uh, struggling on the team? How, How do you work with coaches to, to, I guess, address some of those issues? Well, there's two parts of academic success. Number one is getting the right student athletes in here, the ones that can, the ones that can succeed here academically. And then number two is, is holding student athletes accountable for their time management once they get to the, once they get to a university. Some student athletes just don't miss a beat. They just step right in and they're just very self-motivated and, and very organized and we don't have to help them very much. Other athletes need some more help and guidance in that area. They get, they get to move away from mom and dad and they have now their, they didn't realize how much their parents dictated their entire schedule and life. And so uh, we help those student athletes. But we, what we do is we hold them accountable early on for if you're not making your academic meeting, then we treat that as like you miss practice. Well, if you miss practice, you're not going to play. So we want to make sure that from the coaches and from administration, communication to our student athletes is that they're a student first. That's if they're not, if they're not successful as a student, they're not going to be successful as an athlete. So they're a student first and we take that seriously. It's not a secondary thing. Uh, we've been really fortunate here to continually raise our GPA last year. We have 450 athletes and last year we had an average GPA of a 3.3 and every single one of our teams had a 3.0 average above a 3.0 average as a team so our coaches are doing a really good job on the front end with recruiting and then once we get them here we want to help them improve in that area also we tell our student athletes we need you to compete in the classroom as hard as you compete on the field or in the pool or on the court you need to look at it that way and if they do that if they compete that hard and in the classroom then they're going to be successful we take we do grade checks and things that we can look at so that there's benchmarks and everybody does that. But then we try to step along. We try to prevent an athlete from getting too far in the hole by identifying weaknesses early and then getting that person help. But that, that could be a, a writing tutor or it could be a tutor for a specific class. But we try to tell our student athletes, you should use the tutors to help you get to raise your grade from a B to an A. Don't go to a tutor only when you when you're have a D in a class. Um, our tutors here are free. And so there, there's really no excuse to, to not use tutors. I have a couple academic, three academic counselors that work with our teams and uh, work with our teams on a weekly basis on helping them just make sure communicating with the coach, how everything is going and then um, helping student athletes if they have a specific need. That's great. So I know I've only got you for a little bit more time, but, and I, I do appreciate how, uh, just how insightful you've been with some of your answers and, I want to bring it a little bit into a lot of the audience on this show is, is either strength coaches or in the, in the fitness and athletic performance field. Um, and I know a lot of the same principles will go into effect as far as um, fitting with mission and vision and yeah. general bringing on the staff. Is, is there anything, I guess, specific to the athletic performance or strength and conditioning staff that that you can speak to, whether it be on just how they serve coaches, how they're a part of the culture with maybe serving multiple teams. What does yeah. that look like at your school? And maybe what are, what are some things that 
you could give as encouragement to strength coaches that may want to break into um, the, the college strength and conditioning coach world? Strength and conditioning coaches are unique coaches because the other coaches are around our athletes a lot. And, but the strength and conditioning coach maybe has that team for, you know, 50 minutes, three days a week. So first off, they have to be the, the strength and conditioning coach and the head coach have to be on the same page with exact, you know, with exactly what they're doing. Also, they have to be on the same page with the athletic trainers. I have my head athletic trainer here. Uh, is in charge is supervises our strength and conditioning coaches because I think the tie there, the communication between athletic training and strength and conditioning has to be very very tight, has to have great communication. But the communication with the coach is critical also. That 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 strength and conditioning coach is going to deal with um, maybe four or five different head coaches and that's different personalities. That's that's different, and each one of those teams may be in a different phase in the year. So one team may be in an off season phase and that's, it's, you know, that's completely different in how they're training versus in season. So there's, they have to, you know, a strength and conditioning coach has to balance a lot of plates in the year. There's no doubt about that. I'll tell you one thing though, that I, I worked at university of Nebraska, I, so which is, which, which was a big 12 school at that time. Now they're big 10, but a big 12 school. I worked at uh, Concordia university of Nebraska, which was an NAIA school didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. So the coach was the strength and conditioning coach. Um, I've worked at in the Missouri Valley when I worked at Drake university, we had strength and conditioning coaches there. And one thing I observed good strength and conditioning coaches are going to want to tailor what they're doing. This may seem state the obvious, but I don't see it all the time. They want to tailor what they're doing to the specific sport. The worst thing you can do or the thing that loses credibility quick, quickly is if it looks like to the coaches that you're doing the same workouts with everybody. But the reality is a baseball workout is going to be a lot different than a cross-country workout. Or a basketball workout is going to be you know, a lot different than a wrestling workout. So I've seen, But I've seen that. I've seen it even at bigger schools where it's just basically like, well, this is a good football workout, and so I'm gonna, it'll, it'll, be good for this, it'll be good for the women athletes in the sport here to do this workout. And but if it's not germane specifically to their sport, they lose credibility right away. So that's really critical. And that means the strength and conditioning coach has to learn a lot. Uh, other coaches can focus in on the skill of one sport where a strength and conditioning coach has to focus in on the skill of maybe four or five different sports. So that, that, I think that takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of – you have to be really purposeful. Uh, but you have to show those athletes right away that you are you're doing something sport specific for them. That it's not just a generic uh, come in here and we're doing a generic workout for everybody. So that's yeah. critical. And is that as you've grown into a Division One school, how does the makeup of the athletic performance department how has that changed in terms of how many teams one coach may work with and some of those things? Is that I'm guessing as the school has grown, that, that may look a little bit different. Yeah. Well, when we were NAI, we didn't have a, we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach and, and we had a very poor, we didn't have a very nice weight room at all for the university. The university has since then built some really, really nice facilities. We built a brand new facility five years ago. It was about 2,400 square feet and it was really nice. Uh, but we just, we are just be opening up now in about a month out of, 10,500 square foot facility that will be the largest in division one in California for that doesn't have football. It's really, really nice. We've had to increase our, our personnel in that area. Also, I have now two full-time strength and conditioning coaches and I hope, I hope in the future to hire a third. So I have those, those two coaches are splitting up and working with a lot of different teams. Uh, but uh, we're doing the best that we can right now with that. I have two very talented strength and conditioning coaches. Our head strength and conditioning coach uh, came to us for, after spending 10 years at Stanford University. And then our assistant coach uh, is very talented also. He's a, actually a former basketball, men's basketball player here. But uh, yeah, we've, we've had to grow that. We've had to grow that area too in order for us to, to do better. I will tell you an interesting story. When I first got here, our president met with me about six months into the job and asked me, what are some things that I've noticed that we could definitely improve? There's some things you, you can't ha you, that you can't control. 
you can't control where your school is. For us, it's a good, it's a good place. So that's great. But you can't control where your school is. There's some things you can't control. But the things you can control, you know, how can you improve those? So one of the things I had said was, I just felt like we had really good athletes on our campus. I felt like we had some really good coaches, but our strength and conditioning was something that was holding us back. And I said, we could probably improve, you know, maybe three to 5% overall if we had a better strength and conditioning program. They may not think that may not seem like a lot, but that is, that is a big difference. That's a difference between being a conference champion and being third in the conference. So our president took that to heart and he really helped, really helped us develop our strength and conditioning area so that it's, so our student athletes have something more, much more purposeful. And I've noticed the the bodies of our student athletes changing as they, when they're freshmen to when they're, when they're seniors, you can just tell they're just getting more fit and either gaining good weight or losing good weight, whatever they, you know, whatever they really needed to do to become efficient. But it's, it's obvious, uh, the change that 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 area has had on our on our success and athletic program, uh, and that's that was a big factor in us going from being a decent Division two school to being the best Division two school was was our strength and conditioning programs. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Dr. Parker, I, I appreciate you sharing all those things with us, and and I love how you communicate. You mentioned how important that is in in the interview process and hiring and onboarding and all those things, but. Uh, I think it speaks to the success you've had at California Baptist University of being able to communicate where your athletics program is going, what you're looking for, who's the right fit. Um, so I, I just appreciate the wisdom that you share with me. Um, and I know a lot of people, whether they're you know, in, in the job search or in the hiring um, or just building the culture and building a program. I think there's a lot that we can take away and all learn from. So thank you for your time. I, I appreciate you and um, uh, best of luck on the, on the fall sports season. Thanks, Matt. God bless you and God bless all the listeners and Lance up. All right. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, A few of the main takeaways for me, um, you can just tell that communication is is such a huge factor to Dr. Parker. He talked about it, both verbal and written communication, um, being able to get your point across, but also show how you can add value. So I thought that was important. And then it really stood out to me as much as on this show, I've talked about the value of relationships whether that be between a coach and players or between other staff members um, or other employees and things like that. He talks about just not only following up with references provided, but even non-provided references. So just talking to past employers or other people that may be associated with that program. Um, You're always interviewing. Everyone that is around you and everyone that you interact with has a chance to uh, positively or negatively affect some of your your future job outlook because you never know what circles some other people run in. So how you treat people, how you form relationships, even if it may not seem important at the time, you never know what just a positive interaction with a person, whether they're on an opposing team or they're someone that you're not really even doing business with, but being consistent with your values and what you're about all the time and being authentic and building relationships or even just, you know, having positive interactions, I think is so important. Um, And that definitely um, hit me from when Dr. Parker said that um, about something that he spends time to look into, because that's something that you can't really hide or try to cover up or put your best foot forward. If he's calling someone that you didn't even provide a list, he's just looking for connections because he knows he's going to get an honest opinion. So, um, so definitely great insight there. But at the beginning of the show, I mentioned I was going to share three times where I think it's super important to protect the culture. Uh, and again, whether, um, you are in the job hunt, but this one's a little bit more specific to hiring managers or members of um, a staff, especially executive level. If you're an entrepreneur or even just with your, within your coaching staff, how do we protect the culture that we've tried to build? And, and as I mentioned, the first one is definitely that hiring and onboarding process. Uh, and for a lot of the reasons that you heard from my interview with Dr. Parker, 
Um, it's, it's hard to take someone that doesn't fit those values and try to say, well, I'll teach them or they'll, they'll just learn the more they're around it. Um, you can teach some of the other skills or things that your program does, but if they don't line up with your values, you're, you're going to notice that over time that employee or staff member turns into a headache because they just don't fit. So trying to rationalize or make excuses to, to, to force someone to fit is going to cost a lot more money and time and, and energy in the long run. So making sure that we do it right in the hiring process. And that not only means, hey, what am I looking for? So it means you need to define what your values are. But do you ask questions that will will help dive deeper into some of those values or decision-making process or that force them to communicate some of those values? Is it in the job description that you're posting out that those are some of your values and maybe even providing examples? Those are all things that um, I think we talk about them needing to be the right fit. And yet yet we just kind of go through the same interview questions or, or look for just the basic resume type answers. So it does take some intentionality to protect culture right from the beginning. So taking another look at whatever your hiring or onboarding process is uh, is definitely important. And, and honestly, that may mean having an interview committee that's not just you. It may take someone that has a good eye for these things or having a couple people with different viewpoints uh, but uh, but agree with the culture that may ask different types of questions or look at different things. You start to see some consistency. So I think um, it may mean that instead of just interviewing people yourself, you actually implement an interview team or committee of some sort. So that's one way is, is the hiring and onboarding process. I think a second opportunity where it's super important to protect culture is, is doing uh, feedback or evaluations for staff. Um, we have an opportunity when, when you actually um, get feedback from employees, but also provide feedback to employees. It's an opportunity to not just look at did they hit certain metrics on sales numbers or um, you know revenue or hit this goal but it's a chance to really evaluate based on values and not just saying hey here's our value give them a one through five but maybe listing some specific examples or characteristics or behaviors represented by those values and saying well how did this person do how did you do according to these values and i think when you make it of that much importance that maybe a bonus or next year's salary or just their performance review that affects how they move up within the company, if that's tied to an evaluation and the evaluation is really honed in on the values and the mission and vision of the company, then you're going to start to notice that that which gets praised gets repeated. So they're going to start to see that, all right, these are the things that my manager finds valuable let me try to act that way um, or reinforce those values or make an effort to do that. So I think if, if you're not currently one, if you're not doing any type of evaluation, I think we've talked about in some past episodes the importance of um, getting feedback from others, but also making sure that you're providing clear and concise feedback. Um, so one, you need to have an evaluation process, but two, taking a look at how our your values and your culture included in that process. So I think that's the second way. And then I think that a third way or a third part to be um, protecting your culture at all costs is when you have a struggle or a setback as a business. And what I mean by that, a lot of times we talk about uh, we need to be holding you know, to our core values as a business. But then when something happens, when we lose a big contract or uh, when, you know, something happens where there's a financial need, sometimes we jump to the quick fix solution. But I think, especially for any entrepreneurs listening, when you have an opportunity to say, hey, here's a setback, what's the first thing we do? The people around you are going to notice. What do they look for? Is it, all right, how can we make money fast? How do we, um, look to the next opportunity, even if it's outside of what we normally do? Or as a leader, do you consistently look back to, all right, what is our, what makes our company or our organization great? 
what sets us apart. We need to do that better because typically one of the reasons that you're probably having that setback as a business or an organization is because you either lost sight of some of those values or maybe weren't executing some of those values. So going back to that, I think you have an opportunity to protect the culture by showing those around you how important it is when something goes bad. And um, I think it takes intentionality to do that, but that should be the first thing that goes through your head. And I've had the opportunity to talk with multiple small business owners and entrepreneurs at times when, hey, things aren't going well or we're dealing with this situation. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity that I get to remind them of that. Um, but being in a habit of asking yourself that is important. So again, just to recap the three times it's important, one, during the hiring and onboarding process, two, during evaluations, and three, um, as you face difficult situations. So hopefully you learned something from both the conversation with Dr. Parker and, and maybe some of what I just mentioned can resonate with you. I'm going to be posting a few different blog articles and um, different websites in the show notes because there is so much information on um, just what to look for when hiring, protecting culture, all those things that this episode is about. Um, I know we had great conversation here, but my role, I feel, is to point you to uh, other websites or podcasts or information content that's going to be valuable to you. So please take a look at some of that information. There's a lot of great reading and content, but I think between that and this episode, you're going to be able to shape how does this affect how I treat the hiring process moving forward? How do I treat uh, staff, company culture, organizational culture moving forward? And again, hopefully it either sharpens you or maybe it's time to take a look at yourself and say, all right, well, I haven't been doing these things. How can I start? And now you have some practical steps and things to look at. So um, that is it for the episode today. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And I will see you next time on the Impact Show 2.0. Thank you so much.